Yes, I was remiss to um, inform you of the wonderful family news that on Thursday around 5 p.m., Courtney gave birth to a very healthy baby boy, Owen Donald Libby. And um, they went home from the hospital yesterday. Mama and baby are great. And so Courtney and Nate have gone from, um, I guess they're now playing man-to-man defense. And so we need to pray for them as they enter this new phase of their life. Also want to say this. This is a, this is a bittersweet time for the Bill family as well. It was three years ago this week that the Lord took Michael Bill home to be with him. I'll say this, girls, you made your father proud. Your father wanted nothing more than for you to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it's possible and glory for the Lord to allow his saints to see special occasions, he would have seen this one this morning. And so you have just been such a delight to your family, and you have honored the Bill legacy. So we're just so thankful for that. And this morning, as you take communion for the very first time, I pray that it's special and significant um, and meaningful in every way. Carter, we love you, and we're with the whole Bill family. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Well, we continue our um, series uh, leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ. We continue our series through Advent. This morning, we find ourselves um, we find ourselves in the book of Matthew. I'll, I'll also refer to the book of Luke as well. But this morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty-five. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Quoting from Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, it was actually on the front page of the Dallas Morning News this past Thursday that Boeing's 737 MAX airplane is making a comeback, which is big news in this area. After being grounded for almost 20 months following two major crashes, one in Ethiopia, the other in Indonesia, both Boeing and the FAA 
believe that a combination of software updates and renewed pilot training will make that plane safe to fly again. And because a number of U.S. carriers have these planes in their fleet, they're also doing everything they can, pulling out the stops to convince the flying public that this plane is airworthy. In fact, Southwest Airlines recently posted a letter from their CEO detailing all of the changes, enhancements, and fixes that have been done to make this plane safe. Because given what happened, I don't know if you have forgotten about this, but about 20 months ago, two planes went down with all people on board in Indonesia and Ethiopia. Because of what happened, these airlines know they are asking an awful lot of their customers to trust them in this and to get on this plane. Extraordinary requests require extraordinary evidence, and they're bending over backwards. They're bending over backwards to supply a reason and ground for us to place our trust in them. I think that same dynamic is playing out in our passages today, and that dynamic, I think, is what explains why the Lord did what he did for Joseph and Mary, why he was gracious to them and he accommodated himself to them and reassured them that what the things he was saying to them were true. Because the Lord was making a huge ask of Joseph and Mary. And unless you put yourselves in their positions, it can be hard to appreciate it. Okay, but first, we have to give credit where credit is due. Jonah turned out to be right. How's that for a transition? Okay? We got to give credit where credit is due. It turns out that Jonah was right at least on one thing. Do you remember back? to our series through the book of Jonah, um, when we considered why Jonah, a righteous prophet of the living God, would rather die than see the Assyrians saved. Do you remember that when we considered that? Why Jonah would rather die than see salvation come to the Ninevites. Nineveh was the royal capital of the Assyrian Empire, and Jonah really would have rather died, tried to die, okay, so that Assyria would not be saved. The reason we speculated is that I think Jonah feared that if God saved Nineveh, if he saved Assyria, if he relented from the disaster that he had promised, if the Assyrians um, made a comeback, as it were, Jonah was afraid that a renewed and fortified Assyria would pose a grave threat to Israel. Okay, let me make that clear. Jonah was afraid. If God saves the Assyrians, then the Assyrians would grow and rebuild and continue their imperialistic ways and pose a grave threat to Israel. And that, my friends, is exactly what happened. This is what's kind of cool when you kind of take some time to explain the biblical timeline. So Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he preaches to them in about 765 B.C. That's when Jonah goes and preaches to Nineveh. Okay, what does God do? He relents from the disaster. The Ninevites repented, and renewal came to the nation. 
30 years later, Assyria is powerful again, they're strong again, and they are conquering nations all around them, which was a massively destabilizing thing in the region. So I just want to be clear. Assyria's expansion, their renewed vigor, okay, their, and their expansionist ways is the context for Christmas. Because when Assyria rebuilt, when their economy was renewed, okay, when they began their imperialistic ways again, that caused major instability in the region. Okay, and so everybody's figuring out, what are they going to do? Do they have any hope of withstanding this Assyrian threat? This is the context of the Emmanuel prophecy. Ahaz, son of David, is king in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning from David's throne. And there are two nations to his north that are threatening to depose him and remove him from the throne, presumably to kill him if he does not join in their coalition to try to stand against the Assyrian threat. Okay? That's the context of the Emmanuel prophecy. Ahaz, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Two nations are threatening to depose Ahaz if he won't join their coalition to try to withstand the Assyrian threat. Enter in the prophet Isaiah. God sends Isaiah to Ahaz to tell Ahaz the strategy that he wants Ahaz to employ. Okay, to stand under this great threat. Do you remember the strategy? That God Almighty sent Ahaz to communicate, um, that God sent Isaiah to communicate to Ahaz. Do you remember what the strategy was? What was the strategy? Do nothing. Trust in me. I will get you out of this situation. I know you're concerned about these two nations that are threatening to depose you. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about Assyria. Trust in me. I mean, that, was like, that would be like asking Winston Churchill not to have reached out to us for help in the context of World War II. I mean, it would have been unthinkable. We were Britain's only hope, okay, to stave off the Nazi incursion. And so now God Almighty, through the prophet Isaiah, is encouraging Ahaz, trust in me, don't do anything, stand firm, I'll get you out of this. So Ahaz had a choice to make. Would he trust in his own wisdom? Would he trust in forging his own alliances? Would he trust in human wisdom? Or would he trust in the word of the Lord? That was the question for Ahaz, son of David. God knew that he was making a huge ask. Can you imagine if you're the king in Jerusalem, okay, based on what you know of the history of the southern kingdom, okay, where Ahaz was ruling and reigning, what, 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 did, what was the best thing that Jerusalem had going for it? Do you remember? Did Jerusalem have a big standing army at this time? No, they did not. What was their... What was their what was their only hope? It was the, the walls that surrounded Jerusalem. Ahaz was concerned 
that if these two nations came down and laid siege to Jerusalem, he had no hope. Do nothing? That seemed crazy. Okay? And so what did the Lord do? The Lord offered to give Ahaz a sign to prove to Ahaz that God was worthy of his trust. He, he said, Ahaz, ask for anything. You know, we've gone over this, many advents. Repetition's the key to learning, remember? I'm sure most of you, like me, at points in your life, during a time of great difficulty or during a hard decision, you know, Lord, I need a sign. Should I take this job or that job, marry this person or that person? Should I move to this city? Should I do, Lord, you know, could you just give me a sign, you know, when I was young? Lord, could you make the room glow? You know, could I levitate for a minute? You know, something, you know, something like that. Lord, give me a sign that I know would indisputably be from you. The Lord offered to do for Ahaz what we've wanted all our lives. God knew he was making a huge ask of Ahaz. So he said, Ahaz, to demonstrate for you that I am worthy of your trust, you ask for a sign. He said, Ahaz, ask for it in the highest of the heights or the deepest of the depths. What was that a way of saying? You name it, I'll do it. You know, if it were me, I would say, well, could you just crush Assyria? Okay, that would be helpful. That would be a great sign, okay? Okay, so that was the situation that Ahaz was in. Would he trust in the Lord? Would he ask the Lord for the sign that the Lord graciously offered, or would he trust in his own wisdom? Ahaz trusted in his own wisdom. Ironically, Ahaz reached out for help from the very nation that was the root of the problem. Ahaz reached out to Assyria, which was the beginning of the end for the people of God. Okay, so now, with that little context, here we are, friends, 700 years later. And there's another son of David. This one's not named Ahaz. There's another son of David named Joseph. And he's got a decision to make. Is he going to trust in his own wisdom or understanding or what he thinks to be true? Or will he trust in the Lord? Put yourself in Joseph's position. Joseph is going to be asked to marry a woman who from all outward appearances has been unfaithful. Friends, virgin births weren't any more common in the first century than they are today. I think sometimes we think that like people who lived in the first century were more, um, that, that miracles would have happened on with more regularity. They didn't. Joseph was going to be asked to marry a woman who was with child, not his own. Do you understand what a big ask that was? For Joseph to do this, okay, what would people most likely think if Joseph went ahead and married Mary? What would the public likely think? What do you think the public would think? Drink your coffee, let's wake up, okay? What would the public most likely think? If Joseph went through with the marriage, they thought that was probably an implicit, you know, recognition that the child was his. 
Um, Hebrew engagement was different than like modern day engagement. Like, like Hebrew marriage like came in two stages. A couple would get betrothed to one another, and that was a legal part of the process. Today, when engagement happens, there's nothing legal about it. It can be broken at any time without consequences. But back in the first century, with these Hebrew weddings, betrothal was the first part of a legal process that would end in marriage. Mary was pregnant while they were betrothed, but they hadn't fully consummated the marriage. So for Joseph to continue in this would be kind of an implicit acknowledgement that the child was his. What would that have done for Joseph and Mary? It would have, in a sense, like stigmatized their marriage, potentially, in that community. Everyone would have known that Mary was pregnant before the marriage was consummated and fulfilled. There would have possibly been a stigma all their lives. In fact, that's why, in my view, there was no room in the inn. The reason there was no room in the inn when they went to Bethlehem for the census, because even their own family members weren't comfortable with them being there. For the Lord to ask Joseph to marry a woman who was pregnant, not with his child, was a major ask. And unless you put yourself in his position, you won't appreciate it. And I think a lot of times we, we don't. I know I don't. You know, it's, it's sometimes you read these stories and you kind of go into story mode, okay, as if these weren't real people. It would be, if that happened today, no one would believe you that, that your wife what was conceived in her was by the Holy Spirit. That your wife gave birth while she was a virgin. Like, it would be, I mean, today, honestly, that would be, you'd be viewed as crazy. That's what Joseph was facing. We don't know how Joseph found out um, that Mary was pregnant. Without going into, into all of why, I don't think Mary told Joseph. I think Joseph heard from extended family when Mary was with her cousin Elizabeth for the first three months of Mary's pregnancy. I think word got back to Joseph, and Joseph, probably in dialogue with his parents, thought that the best thing to do was to divorce her quietly. The text indicates that Joseph was what kind of man? What does the text say? What, how does it describe Joseph? It describes him as a righteous man. And as a righteous man, he didn't want to publicly humiliate her, right? And so he decided to divorce her quietly. He was a righteous man. And divorce, or to end that betrothal, was the wise thing to do from what? From a human perspective. From a human perspective, Joseph had everything to lose. And in my view, that's why God sent an angel. Because Joseph would have needed that kind of reassurance that he wasn't going crazy. He would have needed that kind of assurance that this was a word from the Lord. Many scholars think 
that the angel that appeared to Joseph was the same angel who had appeared to Mary and Zechariah, none other than the massively significant and powerful angel Gabriel. We don't know that for sure, but it's likely that it's Gabriel. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 in your insert. He's trying to assuage Joseph's fear. What was Joseph fearing? What was he concerned about? He was concerned about how it would look, the stigma. He was concerned about what Mary had done. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He goes on to describe this as the fulfillment of a prophecy that had been given over 700 years before that we just referred to. And the question for Joseph was the same question for Ahaz. Who are you going to trust? Will you trust in me? Are you going to trust in your own wisdom? Or are you going to trust in my word? Thankfully, Joseph made the choice that Ahaz did not. Joseph chose to trust. It was a massive risk and responsibility that he was taking on, and the Lord was gracious to send him an angel, okay, to convince him and prove to him that what the Lord was saying was true. He did the same for Mary. God accommodated himself to Mary by sending to Mary Gabriel to explain to her what was going on, Absent that kind of interaction with, with Gabriel, what do you think Mary would have thought? Absent this kind of communication from Gabriel, Gabriel was the angel who was an answer to Daniel's prayers. Gabriel was the angel that defeated the prince of Persia. Gabriel was massive and powerful. Absent that kind of communication from Gabriel, what would Mary have thought? She probably would have questioned her own sanity, like, what? I'm with child, and I haven't been with a man, and what's going on? And she would have questioned herself and her circumstances, but God was gracious to her. He accommodated her by sending her Gabriel as God's messenger. Look at Luke 1, verses 30 through 35 in your insert. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? I mean, she, I mean this was like inconceivable. Verse 35, The angel assured her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Lord knew he was calling on Joseph and Mary to place extraordinary trust in him, that what they were being told was true. How gracious of him to send Gabriel, to encourage them and accommodate himself to them. Okay, I want to close with this. Now think about it. Here we are in the 21st century, 
with all of the almost inconceivable advances in science and technology, understanding of the laws of physics and quantum mechanics, here we are, 21st century Christians, during the season of Advent, and we're being asked to believe the same thing. We're being asked to believe that a virgin gave birth to a son to fulfill a prophecy that was made 700 years before. Okay? And God isn't giving us a sign like he offered to Ahaz. Last time I checked, maybe let me know. Gabriel hasn't appeared to me. I don't know that he's appeared to you. Okay? We're not allowed to personally bear witness to these things. We can't interview Joseph or Mary or any of the disciples, right? And yes, and yet we're being asked to believe something that seems ridiculous, right? Virgin births don't happen. But you know what I would say? We have something even more significant and effective than a message from Gabriel. We have the power of the Holy Spirit, of the living God, overshadowing our hearts to prove to us and to testify to us that it's true. The same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters at creation and made us into new creations through the gospel of this child overshadows our hearts so that we believe and know that it is true. That's amazing to me. Okay, all of this to say, all of this to say, there's just one point this morning that I want us to be amazed about. One thing for us to take away. It's really incredible when you think about it. Think about the power of the Holy Spirit. The text uses the word overshadowing Mary to conceive, to conceive in her the Christ of the living God. That same Spirit is at work in you and me, growing us, sanctifying us, testifying to the reality and truth of the birth of Jesus Christ. Friends, that's amazing. And that's a reason to celebrate Advent. Pray with me, our gracious God and Father. It is, it is from the perspective of the world, this all seems so hard to believe. Father in heaven, we thank you that you did not leave us as orphans. Father, we thank you that the same Spirit who overshadowed Mary and conceived in her the Christ of the living God, that that same Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, testifies to our spirit that it's true and that it is worth giving our lives over to. Holy Spirit of the living God, reinforce in us a sense of awe of what you have done for your people in the advent of the Lord Jesus. In his matchless name we pray. Amen.